Hey, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, I am going to jump right in after I get me a drink and catch my breath. So just talk amongst yourselves. Um, I don't know what's happened to my notes. That's why I keep these up. Um, welcome to the sixth and final week of our summer concert series, uh, Pandemic. Anybody ever think that living in the United States of America, you'd be living through something like we're living in now? No, no. But here's the truth. The reason this pandemic, the reason this thing has gotten so much attention, and while people are talking about it, is because it has affected everyone individually. Everyone. See, there's a lot of pandemics going on that we don't really talk about because they don't affect us personally. And I tell you, I'm going to jump right in today. And if you're a visitor, I'm usually funnier than what I'm going to be today. I just feel like I've got a word for the church, not just Watts Bar Church, the church. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus for you, um, let's talk about some of them. Sex trafficking. 3.8 million adults worldwide. One million children every year. They estimate in the U.S. that number is somewhere over 2,000 children that are taken and put into sex trafficking. It is a $150 billion a year industry. That's a pandemic. The latest statistics that I've got in 2017, 862, 320,000 abortions performed in clinical settings in the U.S. 862,000. That's a pandemic. Opioid pandemic. Every 11 minutes, every 11 minutes, Someone in the U.S. dies from an opioid overdose. Overdoses kill more Americans every year than car crashes and gun homicides combined. Over, get this, overdoses are the leading cause of death in the U.S. for those under 50 years of age. Here's a sad one. Every 15 minutes in the U.S., a baby is born suffering from opioid withdrawals. This one startled me. The opioid epidemic killed more people last year than the entire Vietnam War. There are currently 22, millions, 22 million Americans in recovery for substance abuse disorders. That's a pandemic. Come on. But it doesn't get the attention that it deserves. See, here's my opinion. Those three things we just listed right there, as followers of Jesus, that should tick us off more than whether somebody wears a mask or not. That should make us 
more angry than whether somebody voted for the person we thought they should vote for. Those things, those things. Yet we spend their time in petty arguments that a year from now will not matter. I heard a pastor talk about getting to visit the Vatican. And while he was there, he actually got to sit in and, and talk with the Pope for a moment. And, and when he had this visit, it was during the time that ISIS, you remember ISIS, they were on the rise and, and they were beheading Christians left and right. They were putting it on YouTube for people to watch on their social media. It was during that time. And this pastor said, I'll never forget what the Pope said to me. He said this, when our enemies come to kill us, they don't ask us what kind of Christian we are. They don't ask us if we're Catholic or if we're evangelical. They don't ask us if we're black or if we're white. They don't ask if we're conservative or liberal. They don't see our divisions. When they come to kill us, they simply want to know, are you a Christian? He said, the Pope then leaned back and said this. If our enemies don't pay attention to our divisions that much, why should we? I've watched more and more over the past six months as it seems a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus have forgotten the importance of community. The importance of getting together and coming together. See, that is the heartbeat of the church. That's what God meant for people from different backgrounds, different places to come together. I, I've watched and I've seen more, more believers that are more focused on, on, on things, on, on whether someone's wearing a mask or not. They're, they're more focused on what political party someone is or if they believe this way or that. Here's what I would say to you. Don't allow those things to identify you. Because here's the truth. Way before, way before you're a Democrat, before you're Republican, Independent, before you're pro or anti-mask, before all that, we are followers of Jesus, period. That should, be, that should define and that should be our identity. I don't want to look back when we're through all this and people identify me by something, a stand I took on, on, on something or a political thing. I want to be identified, man, that guy was a follower of Jesus. That, loved Je that guy loved Jesus all out. But somehow, we've allowed other things to become who we are. And the climate that we're in is, if you don't agree with me, if you don't think like I think or vote like I vote or believe like I believe, well, we can't be friends. And I'm talking followers of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 12, if you have a Bible, we'll go ahead and turn there. Paul kind of runs into something like this. Because the people in the church there in Corinth, they're, they're, they're dismissing people. They're disregarding people because they look different or think different. And so Paul's getting ready to address this. And he's about to give us an illustration for how the body of Christ, how the church should function and how it should operate. And that's where we're going to jump in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 12. Paul says, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit 
as, as, so as to form one body. Whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether we're slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink from. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, hey, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Paul says, just because he says that doesn't make him any less part of the body. And he says, and if the ear should say, hey, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them. Who placed the parts? Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I'm going to look at that passage. I'm going to show you three markers of what I believe is the heart of the church, the heart of the body of Christ, and what these three markers, these three, three things we must have if we are going to function like the body that, that, that Christ died for. The first one is this. There must be diversity. Must be. Um, if, you, if you're saying, well, wait, what do you mean? Well, here, here's the uh, from dictionary.com. Of a different kind, form, character, unlike. Of various kinds or forms. Including representative from more than one social, cultural, or economic group. Members of different ethnic or minority groups. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. It is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 a.m. Sunday morning. The body of Christ is meant to be diverse. It's made up of different people, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, upbringings, different ideas. Paul says that it's not something that we're, we just tolerate. He said, no, we celebrate these differences. We celebrate those differences that are in the body of Christ. When people come together that normally don't get together and they worship together, they grow together. Can I tell you, that's the heart of the church. That's a picture of God's extravagant grace of bringing people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different places, and bringing them together to function as one body. It's a picture. In verse 15 and 16, Paul says, hey, you've got a hand that doesn't look like, it doesn't operate or perform like a foot. You've got an ear that doesn't look like or perform like an eye. But just because they're different, that doesn't make them any less part of the body. In fact, Paul says they're different in how they look. They're different in how they're shaped. They're different in their function. But here's the thing. They all bring something different to the table. And when they work together, it's a beautiful thing. I believe one of the reasons before we came up here and took over from my mom and dad, uh, we were at Life Church International down in Duluth, Georgia, right outside Atlanta. I believe God had us there for five years so that we could see a picture of what the church should look like. Uh, Pastor Victor and Jamie Massey. 
I believe God put us under their leadership to demonstrate what that looks like. Because I'll just say, many things, we were the minority of that church. And I love the diversity. I love the different cultures, the different people coming together. We watch people from different ethnicities, political backgrounds, economic backgrounds, lifestyles come together, worship together, sit down and eat together. Why? Because those other things weren't their identity. I, I, I would love it when we'd have dinner on the grounds because you, you never knew what you were going to get. I See, I, I'm one of those, I will try anything. I'll try anything once. And sometimes twice just to make sure the first time wasn't just a bad thing. Sure, let me try it again. I, I love different foods. I love different cultures. And I would love it because I'd be going around like, hey, what is this? Oh, I, I shouldn't know? Don't tell me. I'm going to eat it anyway. I learned on the mission field, when they put something in front of you, don't ask what it is. Just eat. Just eat. I mean, I, mean, I look forward to the day when that's Watts Bar Church. You know what our diversity is here at Watts Bar Church when we have dinner on the grounds? Uh, you've got chicken casserole and chicken casserole. <laughs> Fried chicken. Now, don't, I love all of them. I love all of them. You know what the thing is, too, that we were there through at least one election. Not one time did I see our staff, because our staff was multicultural, too. Not one time did I see us use our, our differences to argue or to fight. You know what they use? They use it as a chance to engage with someone, to learn, to hear I'm telling you, when you the, that, the diversity that Denise and I experienced, it changed the way we would forever look at church, the way we would forever see the body of Christ because in that five years, we saw the heart of God. We saw the way God intended things to be, and it changed our lives forever. I mean, think about the human body, the, the different parts, the eyeball, the fingers, the facial muscles. Uh, uh, ben loves to brag about his calf muscles. Uh, just, see, he, do, he doesn't even deny it. Hey, I am prideful. Get over it. Uh, so <laughs> I'm prideful even in my new jacket. Don't I look good? Uh, but, so, <laughs> but think about it. Aren't those things amazing when you think about them? Paul says what's even more amazing, though, is when you step back and you see all those different things working as one unit. Working as one body, that is amazing. See, when the body of Christ, when white, black, Asian, Hispanic, Indian, Democrat, Republicans, rich, poor, white collar, blue collar, no collar, when you see that group of people begin to work together, putting their differences aside, that's the body of Christ. <laughs> Pastor Amanda said this last week. She said, Facebook is very divisive. It divides. And let, me, let me say, some of y'all don't know this. So let me help you out. You don't have to respond to everything you disagree with on Facebook. In fact, let me even go a step further. When you see something you don't agree with on Facebook, might I suggest it's bait? It's a trap, and the enemy wants you to argue publicly 
in front of other people so that they can see Christian people that are supposed to be marked by love tearing each other apart. Don't take the bait. And if they're not a follower of Jesus, I guarantee you're not going to win them over by your brilliant argument. Amen. How would the world, how would non-believers look at us if they saw us as followers of Jesus, regardless of our differences, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our political views? What if they saw us focusing on the things we have in common more than the things we don't have in common? Well, make no mistake about it, guys. Right now, this time, your identity is being tested. It's being tested. Will you be remembered a year from now as a person that was anti-mask, pro-mask, anti-whatever, COVID, the conspiracy theory, or will you be remembered, hey, their identity, they were a follower of Jesus that loved people lights out. See, the world is divided on race. The world is divided on politics. The world is divided on this mask and COVID. And when they look at the church, when they look at followers of Jesus, they shouldn't see us just as divided as they are. Will you hear me? See, here, contrary to popular beliefs, when Jesus comes back, he won't be riding a donkey or an elephant. Come on. And if I'm going to stop, I'm, I'm, I've already stepped down in this hole. I might as well wait a little deeper. It's not my notes. I don't believe you'll find Jesus at the far right. I don't believe you'll find Jesus at the far left. Where I believe you're going to find him here is in the middle. Where real people live. Man. I thought it was going to be fun. 9 a.m. was fun too, wasn't it? We've got to start being shaped, guys, by social media, by conspiracy theories. My, my daughter is big into those right now. I'm like, please just stop. <laughs> we've, got to be, we've got to stop being shaped by CNN, by Fox, by MSNBC. You know what we as followers of Jesus should be shaped by? The B-I-B-L-E. That's what we should be getting shaped by. Not, not all these other things. We, the church, the body of Christ, when we can come together with diversity, different backgrounds, it shows the fullness of who God really is and His grace. The ability to come together with all our differences and still not be divided. You, you can still disagree with somebody and have unity. Did you know that? Me and my wife have been married almost 30 years. She hardly ever agrees with me. Yeah, we have unity. We have unity. The second marker for a heart of a church that we must have, humility. Humility. Paul says, hey, the foot can't say to the hand, hey, you're not a foot. You're not like me. I don't need you. He says, the eye can't say to the ear, hey, 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 you're not like me, so I don't need you. You're beneath me. And, and, and so Paul's trying to tell us with this kind of diversity, there's no room for arrogance. In fact, here's where it starts. You must have a clear understanding of who you are and who you are not. 
reminded of this um, story about Muhammad Ali. Anybody remember him? Come on, world-class boxer. Anybody remember? True story. He was on this plane. They were trying to get ready to take off. And over the intercom, please fasten your seatbelts. We're preparing for takeoff. Muhammad just, he, Ali, he just sat there. A few minutes later, please fasten your seatbelts. We're trying to prepare for takeoff. Muhammad Ali just sat there again. You know, he's, he's a great boxer, but he was arrogant, um, which may have made him a great boxer. Uh, again, please fasten your seatbelts. We need everyone to fasten their seatbelts. We're trying to prepare for takeoff. He just sat there. Finally, uh, one of the flight attendants said, Mr. Ali, we need you to fasten your seatbelt. You're the only one we're waiting on. Fasten your seatbelt so we can uh, take off. Said Muhammad Ali, looked at the flight attendant and said, I'm Superman. Superman don't need no seatbelt. Flight attendant said, well, Superman don't need no plane either. Get your seatbelt on. <laughs> Arrogance, pride has no place in the church. The church. A lot of times we show up, though, thinking we're Superman, Superwoman. We don't need help from anybody. We don't need anybody else's opinion. Uh, other people's wrong. Where we get our source, that's the only place. Come on. One of, the, one, of, one of the enemy's greatest tactics, and I've seen it played out big time over the past six months, is to convince people to isolate themselves. Don't allow anybody to speak into you. Don't allow anybody else to pour into you. Isolate yourself where all you know is what you want to know. Hope you caught that. All you know is what you want to know. The only truth you have is what you want to be true. And if the enemy convinced you to stay there, he doesn't have to get you to commit any big sin because he's already robbed you of what the fellowship and what, 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 what community brings into your life. And he's also robbed you of the ability to in, influence anybody that may disagree with you because you've isolated yourself. There are others, though. You've isolated yourself because you think whatever it is you're going through, you can get through it on your own. You believe the lie that you don't need a seatbelt. You don't need community. You don't need accountability. You bought into a lie that you can do this on your own. Let me tell you, we were created for community. We were created for fellowship. It is the heartbeat of the church. See, here's the truth. We're all, we're all in, in a strange place right now, right? We're trying to maneuver, navigate through some strange times, some evil times if we're being honest. I mean, some, some scary times. We're trying to navigate through that. But, uh, and on top of everything else that's going on, there are some of you that are trying to maneuver, trying to navigate through a marriage that is falling to pieces. But you won't humble yourself and reach out for help. I don't even know. They don't even know our business. We can work this out by ourselves. How's that worked for you so far? There are others trying to maneuver your way through addiction. And you won't humble yourself and ask for help. You won't humble yourself and get a sponsor. 
show up at CR. Well, Kelly, Kelly, I'll, I, I just I want to do this by myself because if anybody ever found out I had this problem, I, I, I can beat this on my own. Yes, and that's what you've been telling yourself for the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years. The truth is you can't do it on your own. And there are others here. Maybe you were molested. Maybe you were physically, verbally abused. And you've been trying to maneuver your heart through this pit of unforgiveness, of betrayal, of hurt. And you won't cry out because you're afraid of what somebody might think. Let me tell you to that person, you are not alone in the fight. And there's others trying to maneuver through your depression. I mean, you look at the statistics since we went into shutdown and everything. The, the, the suicide rates have gone up. Depression rates have gone up. That's what isolation does to you. I'm so angry right now that me and my wife can't go see her mom in the nursing home because over the past six months, I am convinced it is lack of communication with people that care about her that has caused her to go down. Ticks me off. But there are others in here. You've battled. You're trying to navigate through, through this depression and you've bought into some lies and thought, had, had these thoughts that the world would be better off without you in it or that your family or friends would be better off without you in it. And the enemy whispers in your ear, what would they think if they knew what you were thinking? Can I tell you, because I know the people in this church, if you, ever, if you told most of the people in the church what they were thinking, you know what they would say? Me too. I've dealt with it too. I, I, I've been there. See, here's my opinion. For far too long, non-believers have seen an arrogant church. They've watched followers of Jesus. They've watched Christians pretend like their crap don't stink. Like they've got it all together. They never struggle. They never have temper problems. They never wrestle with depression. They never struggle with this. When what the world needs is some followers of Jesus to say, man, I've been there. I know exactly what it's like. <laughs> Tell you, we've got to humble ourselves and grab hold of the reality. We need each other. The third and final marker of the heart of the church. This is a biggie. Empathy. If you're not familiar with the word, here's what it means. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another. The ability to understand and share in the feelings of another. See, it's one thing if the world doesn't have empathy. But if the church doesn't have empathy... I'll say this, it's not the church. Paul says this in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Paul's like, hey, you can't just ignore or dismiss the ear just because it's not an eye. Just because it doesn't look like you, think like you. You cannot ignore it or dismiss it. You can't neglect it. You can't ignore or neglect parts of the body that don't think like you, act like you, vote like you, talk like you. Because just because they're different doesn't make them any less part of the body. 
Can you imagine if our body parts started to argue with us? The butt? <laughs> Think about it. I just tell you, I'm tired of being the butt. <laughs> they sit down, I can barely breathe. <laughs> and I'll just tell you, it's, it's getting old. It's getting, every time I see them pull through the Taco Bell, it's going to be a rough night, I know. <laughs> I just know. Long night. I'm tired. Come on now. What if the hands started arguing? Man, I'm just tired of this. I'm, I have to lift everything. If I'm not lifting something, I'm having to hold on to something. And I'm just tired. Can not anybody else do any of these things? The ear. Are you serious? Is anybody else hearing what I'm hearing? Oh, no, you're not because you're not an ear. I get to hear all the complaining. Come on. See, here's the thing. If we're not careful, we will look at people that are different than us. And we automatically make assumptions about them. And we begin to put labels on them. And, 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 and when we label them, that, that, that takes our ability to try to empathize with them and hear where they're coming from, hear their hurt, hear why they're like they are. I mean, we, we, we put labels on. Um, I mean, if it wasn't uncomfortable, we're about to get uncomfortable. Here's what some of the labels we've seen over the past six months. If you don't wear a mask, you're labeled as uncaring, right-wing, uneducated, uninformed. If you do wear a mask, you're labeled as far-left, liberal, uh, allowing the government to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. If you wear a Black Lives Matter shirt or hat or you hashtag something Black Lives Matter, you're labeled as a rioter, as someone who loots, as destroying property. You're labeled as someone who's for Marxism. Uh, as for the, and here's the truth. 90% of the people that are wearing those, the, the BLM, they don't even understand what the organization really stands for. All they're wanting people to know is, my race matters. My race matters. But, but because they got it on, we've already labeled them. If you don't wear that, if you don't post about it on social media, you're labeled a racist. You're labeled as someone who doesn't care about the plight of our black brothers and sisters. Come on, we're all guilty of labeling. Some of y'all are labeling me right now. He's just a jerk. You see how he automatically labeled people without ever actually sitting down, having a conversation as to why they're doing or saying what they're saying. And I've even seen it in the church. In the church, labeling. Come on. Disregarding people. Dismissing people because they're not like we are. They don't think like we are. Well, I, I, I've seen them. Uh, I, well, I, I, you know what? I don't really want to listen to you because you're conservative. Uh, you really can't speak into me or have anything good to say because you're liberal. 
I'm not going to listen to you because you wear a mask. I'm not going to listen to you because you don't wear a mask. I'm not going to listen to you because all you talk about is immigration. I'm not going to listen to you because all you talk about is white privilege. I'm not going to listen to you because all you talk about is playing the victim. And what happens? We label people and we dismiss them and disregard them. Instead of listening to the heaviness of their heart. Instead of listening to the experiences they've walked through. You know why we label people? Because then it makes it a lot easier for us to dismiss them and not care about them. I've seen a whole lot of yelling and arguing on TV. I've seen a whole lot of arguing on social media. But you know what I've seen very little of? Listening. See, when you listen, listen, you, when you really listen, you listen to hear, not to respond. And if we're honest, most of the time, we may say that we're listening, but really what we're doing is working out our response. How we're going to prove to them we're right. Come on. That's not listening. That's fighting. That's you trying to make your point at the expense of somebody else. Listening is marked by hearing what the other person is saying or feeling and then processing it. See, you cannot appreciate the diversity in the body of Christ if you don't take time to listen and empathize with people. Because all uh, you, you say, well, you don't know what it's like to be a hand because you've never been a hand. Listen, I don't know what it's like to be a black Christian. Never been one. I've been a white Christian most of my life. That's all I know. You know, uh, 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 you, you, you've got a, uh, my mind just went blank. And he sang with me, Drake over here. Drake don't know what it's like to have short hair and not be able to sing. <laughs> He's been part of kid and play his whole life. Manny, our sound guy, he doesn't know what it's like to be a white Christian. He's lived most of his life as a Hispanic Christian. If you've got Constance, she doesn't know what it's like to be a, a white male Christian. She's lived most of her life as a black uh, a female Christian. Contrary to popular belief, I don't know what it's like to be a woman. And men, neither do you, though you think you do. You know what? I don't know what it's like to grow up in a home without a dad. I don't know what it's like to grow up in a home where I'm having to be raised by my grandparents because mom and dad made some decisions that put me there with them. I don't know what it's like to grow up with a black dad, a white mom, and now I'm somewhere in the middle and I'm hearing people say things about me. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to have to live on food stamps. I was blessed growing up, my mom and dad. I don't know what it's like to battle an addiction. And so it's easy for me to put labels instead of listening finding out why you feel like you do. It took me a long time to be able to sit down with my brother because I, I, I thought, you know what? I can just beat this out of him. I can beat this addiction out of him. Instead of sitting down and trying to understand. All I know is my experiences. What I've walked through. And I have to have a willingness to empathize and to listen 
what it's like to be an eye, what it's like to be an ear, what it's like to be a black man, a Hispanic, Indian, Asian, what it's like to grow up on this side of the tracks. The body of Christ must be marked with empathy. I want to close with a story. Black pastor Albert Tate, I love listening to this guy. He tells the story of uh, this young lady in his church approaching him and in confidence, and she said, Pastor, I'm pregnant. Can't go tell my mom because I know how she is, and I'll be thrown out of the house. So I just wanted to let you know I've set up a, a date at this abortion clinic for Tuesday. Albert said this was Sunday she was telling me. He said, so he said, so I immediately began to pull together resources. I, I, I immediately began to go to work on, uh, on what we could do for this young lady, letting her know, listen, listen, you, you don't have to do this. We'll help you. If your mom kicks you out of the house, we've got resources to help you and put you somewhere to live, help you take care of this baby. He said, we began to pull all this together. Tuesday came and went. She didn't have the abortion. He said, but then a few days passed. He said, I got a call from this young lady. She said, Pastor, I went and did it. Albert said, I've never been so heartbroken and angry at the same time. I poured into this young woman. I gave resources to her. He said, I was just so angry at her because one of the very things I spent my life fighting against, she went and did said to be honest when she began to call me after that I would ignore her calls he said Holy Spirit began to deal with him he said this is what Holy Spirit says Albert do you think you have the right to ignore or dismiss her when the lies and her worth are probably lower than they've ever been He said, Albert, the way community works is you don't get to walk away when they do something you disagree with. You don't get to just leave them when they make a decision that falls outside of your theological thinking. You still have to love her, Albert. You still have to reach out to her. You still have to honor her. Why? Because I loved you even when you were out doing stupid stuff that did not line up with my word. Still have to honor her. Here's the thing, guys. Him learning to empathize with this young lady, even though she had made some decisions that he didn't agree with, it didn't change his principles. It, it didn't change his stance. What it did was it changed his posture and his tone toward her. Because if we're being honest, when people disagree, when we disagree with somewhere with someone about something, our posture is self-righteous, and our tone is judgmental. And here's what it needs to be: posture should be that of a servant, and our tone one of grace. How would that change the interactions we have with those? posture shifted from this self-righteous attitude to that of a servant. And if her tone shifted from one of judgment 
to one of grace because here's the fact. That person you disagree with, that person that gets on your ever-loving nerves, that person that doesn't vote like you, think like you, live like you, has different morals of you, they're still a child of God. And God still loves them dearly. And for that matter, that that should shape the way we love with people that we disagree with. Because God did the same for us. That's what community is about. So let me ask you this question. Who are the people in your life that you need to have a change of posture and talk with? Come on, be honest. Man, we've got them. We've got them. Maybe they made a decision you don't agree with. Maybe they have different political views than you. Maybe they don't think like you. Maybe you, and you've chosen to ignore them or dismiss them. Who are the people in your life that you need to change your posture and change your tone. Because I'll tell you this, ignoring them, dismissing them, that's not what a follower of Jesus does. A church is diverse. church needs to be filled with humility. And the church needs to learn empathy. Let's close with this. After Paul gave this great illustration about how the body should work, what the church should look like the very next chapter 13 starting with verse 1 he he says this and I'm going to read it from the passion Paul says listen if I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages in the heavenly tongues of angels but I did not express myself with love my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal for my Pentecostal people said, you can speak in tongues all you want. You can prophesy all you want. But if it is not followed up with an attitude of love toward people, all you're doing is making noise. He goes, if I were to have the gift of prophecy, profound understanding of God's hidden secrets if I possess unending supernatural knowledge, if I had the greatest gift of faith that can move mountains but if I never learn to love I'm nothing if I were to be so generous as to give everything I own to feed the poor if I were to offer my body as a martyr to be burned if it wasn't with a pure motive of love, I've gained nothing of value Love is large. It's incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Now, I want you to look very closely at verse 5 and 6. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect. Think about that. The next time you want to disagree and argue about something, instead of having a conversation, love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor does it selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not, oh man, love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. I'm not saying a whole lot of love if that's a definition.
because we are in a society that people get offended at the drop of the hat and they drop the hat. It's not easily irritated, quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and it finds no delight in what is wrong. I love this. Love is a safe place of shelter. That's what the church should be. People with addictions, people that have had walked through abortions, people that have walked through hurts of being molested, being abused, people that have walked through racism, people that have walked through divorce, they should be able to come in. This is a safe place for them. No judgment. I can't afford to judge somebody else. I've got too much in my own life that people can judge. Man, I want to sow grace. I want to sow mercy. Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat. Why? Because love never gets up. Stand with me.